Good morning. We'd like to welcome you to our service of worship this morning. Please stand and join us as we sing our praises to God together.
Father, we thank you that this power that raised Christ from the dead does indeed live in us, changing us, transforming us, making us new. We thank you for being present with us here in worship today, and we pray that we will indeed be open to you, that we might be transformed by you. 
And we ask this all through Christ. Amen. It's great to see you as we gather for worship today. Take a few moments and share a word of greeting with others here in worship. So uh, one of the uh, one of the uh, parts of our nurturing and training uh, in our children is uh, the sixth grade class. And uh, during the sixth grade Sunday school class, uh, the children are actually in a catechism class, and they, which is a, a method of learning of question and answer. It's something the church has been using for many years, and um, we are participating in that during sixth grade. And during this class time. They uh, learn a lot of questions and answers about what we believe, about uh, things related to God and, and the church. And uh, this morning, we want to honor them for because they have done a lot of hard work. And we want to, uh, to thank them and also to uh, honor them this morning. Uh, Harold Blue has, is the, uh, the leader of this class. He's done this for many years, and we want to thank him for the work he does, and for uh, Calvin and Paulette Shear also who help him. So I'm going to turn it over to Harold for his presentation. Okay, as I'm looking around, I don't see any more of our class, but if you're hiding somewhere, would you come on up and join the rest of us? First uh, Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 says, I am grateful to Christ Jesus our Lord. Who strengthened me, for he considered me to be faithful and appointed me for service. And that's definitely the way I feel this morning as I've been teaching this class again this year. In South Dakota, where we served before coming to Wellsville and then to Houghton, uh, in one of our school books, there each book had a... a character trait. And I don't remember now what the character trait was, but one line from one of the little poems at the beginning of that book says, others help make us what we are. And I definitely feel that way today as I think about those that have had a part in the sixth grade class. Uh, I, I guess I'd have to start with Robin Pauling, who asked me to teach the class a number of years ago when she was Sunday school superintendent. And then Pastor Wes and Pastor Cindy, who come usually in May and share with the class, they bring a whole different approach to the subject of the sacraments and church membership. And so I'm glad to have uh, them when they, when they come and share. 
And then I want to say thanks today to former students, parents, and other church leaders who have spoken words of encouragement to me, especially in the last couple of months. Uh, those have been very precious and very helpful. I want to thank Dr. and Mrs. Shearer for their faithful help over the years that we've been working together. We tried to figure out, oh, here, what's it been, three, four months ago, how long we'd been doing this. And uh, the best we could come up with was about 14 years. And uh, so, how's that? Where's our first student? <laughs> <laughs> Philip. <laughs> okay. Well, Philip, if you could figure out how long ago that was. <laughs> but you're the mathematician, see? You ought to be able to figure that out. Okay. As Pastor West mentioned, catechism is a way of learning things by means of questions and answers. And uh, I was interested to find that that method can be used with any subject. I remember a few years ago I was looking and found a catechism about some concepts in physics. Uh, I, I'm sure Miss Pauling wouldn't teach physics that way. Okay. Uh, it was used in the early church to prepare new Christians for baptism. And then when Martin Luther began the Reformation, uh, he wrote two catechisms, the large catechism, and you can guess the small catechism. The large one was designed to prepare teachers to teach the small one, which was geared to kids. Uh, and it included a section on how to live as well as what we believe. Currently, we have 125 questions covering the basic areas of our Christian faith, as well as a section on Christian living. Kids are introduced to some big words that we have a lot of fun with, and so I, I warned them, okay, that I was going to ask them, what are some of the big words we've learned? Okay, somebody start. Omniscient. Which? Omniscient. Omniscient. Okay. Omnipresent. Okay. Omnipotent. Sacraments. Okay. Justification. Justification. Okay. Somebody else want to give me another one quick? Regeneration. Regeneration. Sanctification. Sanctification. He makes us answer questions too. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so, not only do they learn the big words, but also learn what they mean and how they apply to our Christian faith. Okay, each year we recognize the students who have learned all 125 of the questions, as well as those who, for one reason or another, weren't able to finish. 
So let's do that right now. Okay. We have just over 50% of our class here this morning, so uh, I'm going to be doing a little hunting here. Sophia Raquelme. <laughs> Colin Liddick. Emma Beardsley. Joseph Dirk. And Caleb Hilscher. All right. As we look forward to another year of Sunday School. Uh, if you have somebody coming up that will be in sixth grade next year, I want you to know that parents are always welcome to come and sit in the class. <laughs> As I was thinking about that, I thought about a year ago when Pastor Wes and Pastor Cindy had the class, and they always invite parents to come that day too. And... Uh, we had more adults that day than we had kids. And our, our room upstairs, there was, it was what you call togetherness. Okay. Now, we're going to go over to our room and have a little end-of-the-year party like we usually do. And I do have an email from Pastor Wes giving us his blessing to do that. <laughs> I'd like to invite our ushers forward as we give back to God from all that he's given to each of us. You stood before creation Eternity in your hand You spoke the earth into motion my soul now to stand. You stood before my friend, carrying the cross for my shame. Sin weighed upon your shoulders, my soul. Okay. 
Please be seated. Father, we have come here today to offer our praise to you, to recognize that we need you, and to present ourselves to you. We pray today, Father, that you will work in us in ways that we really cannot imagine the depths and the heights and the lengths and the breadths with you want to take us. This morning, Father, we come in praise of you and we bring honor and glory to you and we also come before you with the needs and the burdens of our hearts. The needs of our lives, of this church and of the wider world. Father, we do pray for our world today. We pray, Lord, for for the work of your church around the world. Pray for Don Little and Ben Hegeman as, as they uh, begin extensive travels throughout uh, many places of the Muslim world, teaching, sharing, encouraging, learning. And we pray your anointing would be upon them, your protection on them as they travel, and that uh, your grace would be evident in all that they do. We pray, Father, for our brothers and sisters who live in places of the world where they face persecution and opposition. We thank today, Father, of the Rohingya people who uh, fled from Myanmar to refugee camps in Bangladesh and now have suffered greatly because of the recent cyclone. We ask, Father, that you will help them and all the people affected by this, by this uh, storm. And we pray, Father, that as there are people... Some of the Muslims turning to Christ. We pray for strength. We pray for the continued work of your spirit of transformation in difficult places. Father, we pray for the other needs of our world. We think of refugees who uh, live with such difficult circumstances. And we pray your grace upon them. We pray for our nation at a time of great divisiveness and struggle and and violence and, and We pray, Father, that you will work miraculously through your spirit. We pray for the work of your your church around us. We pray today for the Anchor Church in Buffalo and Pastor Johnson. May your anointing rest upon this relatively new gathering of believers. That they would sense your spirit with them and that they would know your blessing as they reach out to their community around them. And Father, we pray for for the needs that we represent right here. Some of us come today with hearts that are grieving. We pray for comfort. There are needs of folks who are dealing with health issues. We pray, Father, for for Patty Plaza, for Brian Orbecker, Peter Lingenfelter, Ellis Brotsman, for Brian Maston and Chuck Barrett, for Joe Breton, Cheryl O'Brien, for Store Emmett and Ben King and Doris Asepian, For Isla Shea, Sheldon Emerson, Laurel Buecher, for Bill Getty, for Warren and Ella Woolsey, for Phil Muecher, Mike Raybuck, for Bev Rett, Micah Christensen, for Linda Roth, Dick Gould, Emily Cricklark, and for others who are in our hearts and our minds today. We pray for your healing power at work in each of them. 
Father, on this day when we honor earthly fathers, we give you thanks for the gift of family. We know that, that our, our families, our fathers are not perfect. None of us are. And Father, for, for some of us, when we think about family, we feel pain and struggle. Brothers, that word father brings images of love and joy and security. Whatever our circumstance, we pray that you will fill us with a sense of your presence in our family. And help us more than anything else to see you as our loving Heavenly Father. And for those of us who are fathers, help us to live so close to you that we continually reveal you to our children in every way that we possibly can. Father, we offer these prayers in the name of, through the grace and the power of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, remembering the prayer that he teaches his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Our scripture reading for today is Luke 18, 1 through 8. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversity. Sorry. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care what people think, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? This is the word of the Lord. This time, children may be dismissed for Children's Church, and there's no junior church today.
There are a lot of things about being a follower of Jesus that are difficult to get our hands around, get our minds around. One of those things, I think, is prayer. It seems to me that when I get to the place where I feel like I have prayer figured out, it's like something else pops up. And, and so I, I work on figuring that out, and then something else pops up. And I get that figured out, and another question arises. And it feels like I can never quite get to the end of it. And one of the, and, and one of the parts of prayer, I think one of the reasons that's true, is because prayer is, is, is so connected to God and understanding God, and we will never truly get to the end of understanding God. But one of the things that but God does help us understand prayer as much as we possibly can. And the scriptures talk a lot about prayer. And one of the things I think we wrestle with about prayer as much as anything are answers to prayer. You've said it. I've said it. Why didn't God answer that prayer? Or why did God answer the prayer that way? We have all wrestled at one time or another with the idea of God answering prayers, with the, the, the question of why we pray, what are we doing when we pray. There's so much to talk about when we think about prayer. And Jesus understands that, which is why he talks a lot about prayer. And when we come to the 18th chapter of Luke, Jesus gives his disciples and us another lesson in prayer. Luke tells us right up front what this is about. He says in the beginning, right here in verse 1, he says, One day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. So Luke tells us, he's going to, Jesus is going to tell a story and here's what it's about. Kind of seems to mess up the point of surprise of the story, doesn't it? I mean, if you're, if you're reading a novel and they tell you right up front, here's what's going to happen at the end. You really want to read the story, but this is a teaching moment. And so he says to us, look, here's what the story is about. Jesus wants us to understand that we should always pray and not give up. And so he tells the story. And the question in my mind, as I've been thinking about this passage is, how does this story help us understand what Jesus is saying? How does this parable about a judge and a widow help us understand that we should always pray and not give up? Jesus, so he, Jesus goes on to tell the story, and he tells the story, he talks about a judge. He says, there was a judge who didn't care anything about God and didn't care anything about people. Now, you know, I'm, I'm hoping if I ever have to go to court and stand before a judge... 
this is not the judge I'm standing in front of. I mean, this is the, this is the, he's the poster child for paganism. He's the poster child for, for self-centeredness. This is a judge who doesn't care, doesn't care a thing about God. He doesn't respect God. He doesn't care one thing about what God thinks, feels, or cares about. And he doesn't care anything about people. He only cares about what he wants to do for himself. Nobody makes any difference to him. Nobody matters to him except for himself. Jesus says this is a judge. Now, what's interesting is that there are theories that say this could not be an Israelite judge because Israelite judges would never be like that. You look at at Exodus 18 and and, uh, Moses, his father-in-law, comes to him and says, Look, Moses, you're trying to settle every case among these Millions of people, you can't do it. You need to appoint people to do this. And Moses, so he says, what you need to do is you need to find some people who fear God and are trustworthy. And let them do this for you. And here Jesus says, this judge is the exact opposite of that. He doesn't fear God at all. He doesn't care a thing about God. And he doesn't care a thing about people. One of the terms for this, one of the the word that Jesus uses here to describe this judge... A judge is, in, in the classic Greek language, is also used to describe a referee. That got me thinking about how irritated I get when I'm watching Indiana basketball or the Packers play football, and I know the referee is against us. I know. You can tell. I mean, it's obvious. Anybody in their right mind would know they are, not, they are, they are against us. And, and I tell them that. If you've ever watched a game with me, and I'm really, it's one of my teams... You know, much to my chagrin sometimes, that I like to give advice to the referees about what they're doing and not doing. And I know it changes their whole thing because they can hear me as I'm yelling at the television, right? I, I, I want a referee that's fair. I want a referee that says, that will do the right thing. And Jesus says, it's not who this guy is. So he talks about a widow then. And Jesus is, is choosing people at the furthest extremes of society. Judges have all the power. Judges have the... I mean, here's a judge can exist and continue in, in his job and not care a thing about God or people, and he keeps his job. He has that much power. And you have a widow who's at the other end of the spectrum, and a widow has absolutely no rights in ancient cultures. Widows are the most vulnerable adults in that society. They are, at the very least... Ignored, often taken advantage of, manipulated. Jesus tells some stories about how even the religious leaders of Israel are taking advantage and stealing homes from widows. And the reason they are doing that is because they can. Widows have no rights, they're ignored. Widows said that, who cares? And, and unscrupulous people are continually taking advantage of them. And that seems to be the situation here. And so she comes to this judge and says, help me. My enemy, my adversary is against me. And I need you to help me. I'm assuming this is the only judge she can find. Or this is the only judge that she is allowed to come to. Otherwise, you would think she would choose someone else. But she, but she goes to this judge and she says, I need help. And the judge ignores her. And she keeps coming back and he keeps ignoring her. And she keeps coming back and he keeps ignoring her. Until finally he says, I can't take it anymore. This woman is driving me crazy. I'll give her what she wants. I'll give her justice. 
in the in this uh, in the NIV, it talks about how, or she may come and attack me. It that that's a you know it's, it's a, the translation of this word that has its history actually back in the in the culture of boxing, and it's really describing someone who lands a punch. It, it is describing someone who lands a punch, and the result of that is a black eye. And what if you took that word literally? In its original context, it would be, I'm going to give this woman what she wants because she is giving me a black eye. I can't take it anymore. I've had it up to here with this woman coming to me. Every morning when I get up, there she is standing outside my house. Every time I come home at the end of the day, there she is standing outside my house. All throughout my day, there she is standing at my office. I can't take it anymore. This woman is driving me crazy. I don't care about her cause. I don't care that I might be judged for this, that not helping her. I just can't take it anymore, so I'm going to help her. And she gets what she wants. And Jesus says to us, that's what prayer is like. So here's the point that I'm looking at as I think about this story. Jesus says, this parable tells us, that it it shows us, it reveals to us, That we should always pray and not give up. So the point of the story is, how it does that is this. The moral of the story. You get what you want if you pester God long enough. If you nag God enough, he'll give you what you want. It makes me think of when I was a little boy... Actually, maybe it wasn't quite as little as I should have been. But I remember many times after church on a Sunday morning, my mother would be talking to someone, and I wanted to ask her a question. And she was talking, and I know it was impolite to interrupt her. So I did the next best thing. Mom, 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 mom. I mean, finally, you have to respond to that. Right? I mean, you learned that lesson as a child. If you poke your mother long enough and say, Mom, enough, they have to respond to you. They can only take so much of that, right? I remember one time she turned to me and poked me back and said, What, 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 what? <laughs> you know, you, 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 you pester, you nag, you know? They don't, and, and I remember asking my parents many times for things if I could do something, and they didn't really want me to. Sometimes I couldn't think of a good reason. My dad grew up in Kentucky, and one of the phrases his mother used to use, I heard her say it too, was when you ask him a question about something, like, can I do this? And his answer to me would be, I reckon. I remember the first time I heard that, I thought, is that a yes or a no? Because it kind of sounds like both. And it kind of was both, because he didn't really want me to do it, but he couldn't think of a good reason for me not to do it. And so you sort of walked away going, thank you, I think. This is going to come back to haunt me, I think. And so Jesus says to us, right, that if you you get what you want by pestering God long enough, you just keep poking him and poking him and poking him, and finally God will give you what he wants. Does that not seem to be the moral of this story? No. That is not the moral of this story. All you have to do is read any other passage in Scripture and you will find that is not the moral of this story. 
That is not what Jesus is saying to us here. Jesus is not saying, if you bug God and pester God long enough, if you threaten God with a black eye, he will give you what you want. That is not what he's saying at all. What Jesus is telling us is that we keep praying. We always pray about everything all the time. Not because God doesn't want to give us good things and we have to pester him to get them. He's saying, look, God is so unlike this judge. God is the opposite of this judge. God loves to give good things to his children. And we don't have to bug God and pester God. That's not what this is about. The reason we should always pray about everything and not give up praying about everything is because it corrects our skewed view of who God is. When we keep coming to God with our burdens and our concerns, whether about us or about other people, we begin to learn and understand that God is not hesitant to give good things to his children. God loves to give good gifts to his children. God is not an unjust judge who, who hates to, to part with anything good, who hates to, to do good things for people who have sinned against him. God loves to give good things to his children. And Jesus' point is not God is like the judge. Jesus' point is you need to be like the widow who understands. And if, he's saying if a widow would keep going to a judge who she knows doesn't want to give her anything, then wouldn't you keep coming to your father who loves to give you everything? God loves to give good things to his people. God loves to pour out blessing on his people. One of the things Jesus, the underlying idea that Jesus is communicating here about the nature of God is that from the beginning of creation, God created human beings to flourish. And everything God does in our lives is to lead us to flourishing. That's why sometimes it appears as if God doesn't give us things that are good. Things that we want because God understands the bigger dimensions about the things that we ask for. And his desire for us is to lead us to this life of flourishing. And sometimes flourishing means that you don't get things in the immediate in order to experience better things in the future. So Jesus is saying to us, Keep praying. And it's not just about one little thing in our lives. When we see this woman, she's praying about one problem. But I think Jesus is saying, look, live a life of prayer. So that everything that comes to you, your first response is to pray. Whatever happens in your life, your first response is to pray. Because in prayer, we build relationship with God. And every time we pray, we learn a little bit more about the nature and the character of who God is. That's why Jesus gets to the end of this and says, Now when the Son of Man returns, when the Son of Man appears, will he find this kind, the kind of people who have the faith like this? 
People whose lives are full of faith in who God is. Who pray about everything they can think of. Everything in life. Because they, are one, they give everything to God. Because they know that God is the one and only who loves us unconditionally. And who wants everything that is best for us. And so we pray with faith. And every time we pray, it is a faith-building exercise to keep bringing things to God and never give up. It's hard work sometimes. Praying can be difficult. Praying is a struggle because there are lots of times where we don't understand. There are lots of times where we are in such a battle. We don't want to give up what we want. And all the while, God is saying, I know you want this, but I have something better and bigger for you. And it's that. But we get stuck into this. And we keep praying. And we keep bringing these things to God. So that God can work on our hearts. So that God can open our eyes to who he is. And to what he wants for us. But it's hard. It's a challenge to do that. If prayer weren't a challenge. We wouldn't read so much about prayer in the scriptures. It makes me think of something I heard from Haddon Robinson, who was one of my professors when I was in school, who, who talked about, he was preaching a sermon about prayer, and he said, he said, I have people who, who continually like to tease me, that old joke about, you know, it must be nice to be a minister, you only work one day a week. And, uh, you know, I understand that, it's, you know, and, and ever so often people will joke with me about that. And he says he had friends, he has friends who will sometimes call him in the middle of the day and say, so hope I didn't get you out of bed today uh, in the middle of the week, and... He said, one guy called him one time and he said to him, you know, he said to him, you, you, you pastors have it easy. He said, on a good day, you get up, do a little studying, make a few calls. On a bad day, you just turn over in bed and say your prayers. He said, I said to my friend, your comment tells me two things about you. He said, one thing, one, you don't really know very much about what it means to be a pastor in the ministry. And the second thing is, you know even less about prayer. Because if you're really going to pray, you don't just roll over and say your prayers. There is, a, there is a depth to praying that Jesus is talking about here. There, there is a life of prayer that Jesus is describing here. It's not just about one burden we're experiencing. It's about all of life. That our lives, in essence, become a prayer to God. A connection to our Heavenly Father who loves us and who wants everything that is best for us. And whatever it is, we keep bringing it to God. We're always praying. We're not giving up. If you look at the context of chapter 17, Jesus has been talking about what it will be like in the last days. And he talks about how it's going to be difficult. It's going to be a struggle for God's people. There's going to be great opposition and persecution and difficulty and pain. And it's in the context of that that Jesus says, keep praying and don't give up. Because there are going to be days when you feel like all you can do is give up. The pressure is too intense. The struggle is too great. The difficulties are too high. I just can't do it anymore. It's particularly in those moments when we need to hear Jesus' words to keep praying and not give up. Because it's a sign of our faith. 
It's a sign that we believe God is who he says he is. And that trusting our lives to him is the best decision we will ever make. I think sometimes we think prayer is a, you know, the prayer is sort of a, it's a non-essential part of being a follower of Jesus. That prayer is good and it's important, but if I do it fine, if I, if I don't do it, that's okay as well. And I think Jesus is trying to help us understand prayer is vital, central to being a follower of Jesus. Regular prayer, spontaneous prayer, prayers that we write down, prayers that come to us off the top of our heads, prayers when life is good and prayers when life is difficult. All of life is wrapped up in prayer because in prayer, it is a sign. It reveals what's really in our hearts. And we keep coming to God in prayer because it is a sign, it is a revelation that in our hearts, we believe God is who he says he is. And we are trusting ourselves to him. Prayer is not a negotiable part of being a follower of Jesus. It is a central, vital part of being a follower of Jesus. And that's really what this table tells us. We come to this table to remember that the one we entrust our lives to, the ones we are praying to, the one we're praying to, He is this kind of God. He's the kind of God who loves us so deeply that He would come and die for us so that we could know life and flourishing, and joy, and His grace. And that's why we keep praying. I obviously do not know what today you might be struggling with in prayer. I don't know what you'll struggle with tomorrow, or next week, or five years from now. But my prayer for us, my desire for us is that we will continue to see the importance, the vitality, the essentialness of prayer. And we will do that because when we come to this table, we come face to face with who God is. The one to whom we offer our prayers, our burdens, our life. And we will find and learn that he's good. He's trustworthy. He loves us. Father, we thank you for the call to be people who engage with you in prayer. Pray that you would open our eyes to see the essential nature of, of living a life of prayer, wherever, starting wherever we are. And Father, as we come today to this table, remind us once again that this is why we pray to you. And 
why we can trust our lives to you. Father, we pray your blessing upon the bread and the cup that as we eat and drink this morning, we will eat and drink the body and the blood of Christ. And in doing so, we may be renewed in our spirits about who you are and what you have done for us and what you desire to do for us. We ask this through Jesus. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he meeting with his disciples, he took bread. He gave thanks to the Father in heaven and he broke it. He gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. On the same night, he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples, saying, Drink from this, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. We are receiving communion this morning by the mode of intention. simply means to dip in. As you are released by rose, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup, eat it. And then you may return to your seat by the outside aisles. Altars always open if you would like to stay and pray. Uh, If coming to the front is difficult for you, we have trays of bread and cups. Happy to serve you in your seat. Just let us know as the usher releases your row. And I have gluten-free wafers and cups here. If you would like those, just let me know as you come forward. I always like to mention that we practice open communion at the Wesleyan Church. Might be the first time that you have ever worshipped here, but... If you come today with your heart open to Christ and with a desire in your heart to know Christ and to follow Christ, then come, receive these gifts from our gracious, loving Heavenly Father.
receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.